open up our Bibles to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. I want to touch on a verse that we didn't touch on last Sunday. It was part of our lesson, but it's uh, good that we saved it for today. And that's verse 11. <clears throat> Galatians 4.11. Now, if you've been following along with us for some time, you know that Paul is addressing the people in Galatia. Galatia is a region. It's not one city. And this region is the place where Paul had traveled to on his first missionary journey and established some churches. He went through there, and of course, he ran into a lot of trouble. And uh, when, on his way back, he encouraged and strengthened the saints or the disciples, which we call today discipleship. And uh, in the process of planting these churches, he shared with them the true gospel. They came to know who he was. Um, they knew that he was a Pharisee at one time. They knew that he was zealous for the law. And now he's proclaiming and preaching it's by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone that salvation is made. And it's not by any work of the flesh or of any adherence to uh, any tradition or ceremony or laws. And so Galatia, Galatians, the book of Galatians, is the in chronological order, the first book that was uh, written. Uh, when we were in Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, I mentioned that that was the book, uh, that 1 Corinthians was written prior to the Gospels, but it's not the first book. And a lot of times we see these, uh, the Gospels in, in this order, and we think that's the chronological order that they're in. And just to give you some insight on that, the, the way the books are, are in the Bible when they canonized the Bible, they put the longest one first, Romans, and then 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and so on. And all 13 epistles of uh, Paul's writings, all 13 letters, are written in such a way. But it's believed that Galatians is the first letter that he wrote to the region, and rightly so. He was really just uh, adamant about preserving the gospel message. It's, it's, it's through faith, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And so there was a group of people that came in, wanted to pervert that gospel by saying, no, you have to be circumcised. You have to follow the Mosaic traditions and the ceremonies. And so they were being bewitched is what Paul calls them. As a matter of fact, Paul was so adamant about getting this message across. There are no amenities. There are no pleasantries. There are no nice words that, that Paul even uses to the church in Galatia like he does all the other epistles. He, he, he greets them, he thanks them, he blesses them. But if you remember correctly, when we go back to first, uh, excuse me, Galatians chapter 1, right after chapter 4 and 5, when he says, To whom be the glory forever and ever, he's talking about God. He says, I am astonished. And he just lays into them. As a theologian, he lays into them. As a teacher, as a lawyer, debating and, and getting this point across reasonably and logically and, and, and just going to the Old Testament, bringing in Old Testament law and, and showing them by, by the examples of Abraham and by the examples of all the prophets and how Jesus Christ had to die on the cross. And he's just one right after another like a father just disciplining his children. And something happens in this portion of Scripture. And it's interesting because I didn't quite really catch it at first, but it's all the way back from Martin Luther to common uh, commentators, uh, nowadays commentators, they, they all agree that there's a shift 
in the, in the words and in the knowledge of Paul and what he's trying to express here from this father that is disciplining his children to a loving mother and to a mom, to a, one that just loves his children. Here in a little bit in verse 20, we'll see uh, that Paul calls them my little or my technions. Technon is the word for child. But technion is a term of endearment, kind of like Abba Father. And this is a word Paul doesn't use at all. John uses it quite a bit, my little children. And this is the first and only time that Paul uses this word, my little children. And, and we, we dropped off on verse 11 last week, actually verse 10, didn't really touch much on verse 11. And, and you'll start to hear the, the love and the concern and the compassion that Paul has for the people in Galatia for the things that they have been experiencing and how it is that they have, the things that they have gone through. And, and so, so what Paul does at this point, he says, you know, I, I love you guys. I want you to see, he says, and I want you to hear, and, and, and I just wish I could be there to embrace you in such a way that would really just encourage you and let you know how much I love you. And, and honestly, he's, he seemed detached very impersonal. He preferred truth to friendship up to this point, fact to fellowship. He has uh, been concerned with the principles over people. And now in these verses, he switches the tone very abruptly and very quickly. And let me read to you what he, what he says here in Galatians chapter 4. And I'm going to start in verse 11. And he says this, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Labored, the, the term that a mother would probably use when they're very disappointed. You know, after all the labor that I've gone through, and Paul says, I'm afraid that I've done this all in vain. You're, you're going back to what, what I was delivered from. You, you never even knew this stuff. And you're going back to that. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was, it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only, for, not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Father in heaven, Thank you once again for this portion of scripture. As we see, possibly the, the most intimate and heartwarming words that the apostle has ever written. Lord, help us to get a glimpse and to get a grasp of this compassion, the passion that he has for the gospel and the compassion that he has for those that are being led astray, that are being bewitched, that are being uh, fools, for not understanding the full meaning of the gospel. So, Father, thank you once again for this portion of Scripture, we pray. In Jesus' name, and we all say...
Amen. Number one, the first thing Paul shares with them is this. Revive your spiritual freedom in Christ. Revive your spiritual freedom in Christ. Go back to what you understood. I, I, I beg you. I entreat you. I, I, I implore you. Become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Become and do the things that I have been doing. And Because remember, I became as you are. I entreat you, very strong verb, very strong language. You know, I beg you, brothers. And, and he, had dumped, he had identifies them as brothers. And he says, this is the one thing that I want you to know. I want you to know that I used to be part of the law. But I have become like you now so that you would understand that the law has no power over me anymore. As a matter of fact, he started in Galatians chapter 2, verse 19. He says, for, though the law, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. He says in the next verse, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. He has been delivered, severed, or severed from the Mosaic law. He has been cut off from the circumcision, the ceremonies. He says, I no longer want to go through those things. Those things are part of the Mosaic law, but that's not the grace. He's not talking about the morality of the law. He's not uh, uh, getting rid of the whole law. He's just saying, I don't need those things for salvation. I don't need the baptism. I don't need the circumcision. I don't need all those things to continue on in my life of sanctification. I am a child of God. I have everything that a child has. I have been grafted in. I have been brought in. I have been adopted. I have been chosen. I've been brought in. And now I am this child of God. And the reason we have to be born again is because we were of the family of the devil. And, and Satan was our father. Now God is our father. And so from this point forward, we have every right, every birthright and inheritance and all the riches that Jesus Christ received and has given us. That is what we have. And so he stops these people in Galatia and he says, stop. Stop trying to win this favor. I don't know why they are coming back to you. And I am so astonished, he says, that, that this is what you're going to. I, I beg you, please revive that, that fervor that you had. He, he says, you know, I, I come to you as a Jew. I come to you as a person that used to be under the law. I come to you as a person that, that would go through these various things. Uh, well, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Let's just, let's just go over this very quickly. We don't have a whole lot of time to take it apart and, and go through it. But, but in chapter 3 of, of Philippians, he talks to them. And he says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He says, look out for the dogs. He's talking about the people that are trying to pervert the gospel. Look out for these people. He says, uh, look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh, trying to make you to adhere to the customs of the law. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. 
circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin was a very elite class, one of the elite tribes of the 12 tribes, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was kosher. He made sure he followed every kosher dietary law. As to the law, a Pharisee, and to zeal, a persecutor of the church, and to righteousness under the law, blameless. As far as possible, nobody could catch me or say that I was not adhering to the law whatsoever. They prided themselves in to see who can keep the law the best. And Paul was top-notch, number one, and people tried to be like Paul. And they wanted more than anything else to show that to everybody else. In verse 7, but whatever gain I had, whatever it was that I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. You know, I might have been perfect. I might have been straight. I might have been on the law, everything else. But all of it, I counted as loss. As a matter of fact, look what he says here in, uh, in, in verse 7. But whatever I gained, I, I counted it as, as a loss. In verse 8, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surprise, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. The Greek word there, Beloved is excrement. I, I count that all as excrement. It's nothing. Nothing compared to the glorious grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And Paul is saying, you know me. You've seen my lifestyle. You, I, I shared this with you once before. You have, you have fellowshiped with me, and, I, and you know that this is the type of person I was. And, and when you understand the background of Saul, and, and we took a great deal of time just going through the life of Saul from the very beginning. This is who Saul was. We explained this, and we expounded on all these traditions that Paul held on to, to be the Pharisee of the Pharisee, now to live by grace was like a complete turn of what conversion does, of repentant is. The, his thought process, thinking that he was correct, thinking that he was right, believing that everything that he was doing was he was doing it for God, comes to realize he was wrong. And that is what repentance is. Repentance is not holding on to the things that you knew of the past that are wrong, but moving forward into the things that you know that are of Jesus Christ, grace alone. It's not the moral law, as I mentioned a little while ago, but it was the traditions, the ceremonies, the, you know, you got to be there every Sunday. And if you really love Jesus, you'll come back on Sunday night. And Wednesday nights, oh yeah, that, those are for the holy saints if you come back on Wednesday. It's those traditions that if you wear a suit and tie, you honor God with, this, with, with, with your uh, appearance. And, and well, you name it, you got a tithe and above the tithe and, and all these different traditions and customs that I'm not saying that they're wrong in and of themselves. We should come to church as often as we can and give of our, of our tithes and offerings. And, but that does not save you. That doesn't even make you good. That doesn't even make you righteous. As you know, Isaiah says that your righteousness are like filthy rags. And so what Paul is getting across here, he says, you know, the Galatians, they never knew or understood the Jewish ritual. And now they have fallen into this, this, the hands of these Judaizers who are trying to point them under the law to uh, the way Paul was set free. And, and so he says, I entreat you, I beg you, become as I am. I also, I used to be this way because I am 
Because as I am, for I also have been as you are, I came to you as, a, as free from the law, you need to become from me or become like me, free from the law as I am. Get rid of all that thought. Get rid of all that. And then he exposes them to the gospel and through grace and faith in Jesus Christ, they are set free. Through faith and grace in Jesus Christ, we are set free. We are set free from all these man-made traditions that tend to want to hold us and Paul explains to them here in just a little bit, and enslave us. We are no longer a slave to sin. We are no longer a slave to the law. We're no longer slaves under this covenant that the, that the people had put upon themselves, not from God. We are now children of God. Number two, he says, you know, that's don't go back. Don't go back to something you never had. If I've left it, it's rubbish. It's excrement. He says, if I left it, it's not good for you. He says, that's his appeal. He says, remember the messenger of the gospel. He says, remember the messenger of the gospel, he says to them. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. You received me. And I, again, going back to the very beginning of Galatians, we explained, uh, I think it was Tertullian that, that said something about Paul. He was like 150 years after Paul. The, the tradition was that Paul was a short, stubby little man, had a hooked nose, bald head, walked, in, walked with a hunch. He wasn't very handsome, to say the least. He was an ugly-looking little man. And so he, he had no appearance of any... As a matter of fact... It is believed that he really didn't have much of an oratory voice. He, he, was, he was looked upon as like, he just doesn't even speak well. You know? He just, just says whatever he wants to say. And, 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 but it, here at this point, something had taken place. Something had happened to Paul. And he says, you know, you could have just cast me aside. You could have just said, I, I, I wasn't being blessed by God because of all the things that have happened to me. You could have just said, you know, but no, you didn't. You even received me. As if I was a messenger, an angel. He says, you know, we have to return with them. Uh, we have to return back and look at the time that you received the message, the actual gospel message of Jesus Christ. In order to get a good picture of that, we'd really have to go back and do Acts chapter 13 and 14. But I'm going to ask you to turn back to Acts 13 and Acts chapter 14. And I'd like for you to pull out your pencil or your pen. And notice what the gospel message entails. Notice what the gospel message that Paul is sharing. The gospel message is God-centered. It's theocentric. Now, in verse 13 of chapter 13, the letter starts off like this. Luke is explaining to the Theophilus, the receiver of this letter, which we now have a copy of it. And he's sharing with the people, he's sharing with Theophilus and us on the journeys of Paul. And he says in verse 13, Now Paul and his companions set sail for Pamphus and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they, they went on from Perga and came to Antioch, Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. Very quickly, John, John Mark uh, left this missionary journey. And we really don't know why he left, but we know later on that there was this huge disagreement between the leaders. It was between Paul and Barnabas, and, and then it, it, was so, it was so heated that they both left. 
We don't know exactly what happened, but I'm going to give you a little bit of evidence as to what might have taken place and what might have happened to Paul. In the lower regions of that area, uh, Pamphylia, excuse me, Pathos and, and Perga in Pamphylia, it was the lower regions, the marshlands, mosquitoes, and it was known to carry a lot of uh, diseases like malaria, for instance, and mosquitoes were around, and possibly that Paul got sick. And John, of course, being younger, says, you know, I, I don't want to get sick. So he, he says, I don't want to catch this virus that you have, Paul. So he put on a mask and went back home. And so uh, he says, I'm, I don't want to get sick. I don't want anything to do with this. And Paul is just reprimanding him later. He says, you know, it, it was just malaria at that time. It was just a, a sickness, a disease. God is in total control. But Paul says, whatever, you guys go your way. I'm going to go my way. I've got things to do. And God even used that. I know that there are a lot of churches that split over various th different things, and they call it a, a division. Personally, I call it a multiplication. It makes two groups that start reaching two different peoples if they both surrender to God. They have to make amends, which later on we come to find out that as Paul is, is writing, he says, send to me John Mark. He can be very useful to me in the ministry. Verse 15. After reading from the law and the prophets and the, rule, the rulers of the synagogue sent to a, a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. This was a custom practice. This happened to Jesus Christ when he went into the synagogue. Do you have a word for us? And they would appoint or point to a teacher. Paul has just now started his missionary journey. They knew about Paul. He knew, they knew he was a Pharisee. He says, come on up, share some things with us. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, men of Israel... Now, pay close attention to this, and if you have a pencil, I'm going to ask you to circle these words. Men of Israel, and you who fear God. Now, circle every mention of God, Him, His, Jesus. The God, and I'll emphasize the word, of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arms, He led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. And after that, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for, for 40 years. And when he had removed him... He raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, what do you suppose, that I am? I am not he, no, but behold, after me, one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am not worthy to untie. The gospel message, the central truth of the gospel is God. We cannot come to an understanding of our own sin until we understand the holiness and the greatness of God. God is the central focus. You see, a lot of the gospel presentations that are given today are man-centered. God loves you. He has a purpose for you. He wants to uh, give you salvation. He doesn't want you to go to hell. 
Those things are all true. But that's a man-centered theology. And with the man-centered theology, you have this idea that you can choose God or not. But it is God who appoints. It is God who calls. It is God, and only because of God, and it's because of the holiness of God that we are even considered to be reprobates or sinners, each one of us. But God intervenes. Here, let me show you this. In verse 26, he goes on, he says, Brothers, son of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of his salvation for those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath fulfilled by, by the coming or by commending him. And so Paul is saying, God is holy. Jesus came in to show you your sin, and you wouldn't even recognize him because he was showing you your sin. And you believed that you were righteous and upright. And yeah, I was there, he says. I was there. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who were now his witnesses to the people. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us through their children by raising Jesus, as also it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Paul goes in, expresses the holiness of God, shows the sin of man and the reason as to why Jesus Christ had to die. He was buried and resurrected and he became a light unto the nations. Let's jump on to verse 36. It says, For David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But... He whom God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Now, when Paul came from uh, Pamphylia up to Poseidon in Antioch, this is Poseidon. This is the area of Galatia. Poseidon, Lystra, Derby. Those are the churches that Paul planted in Galatia. And while he's there preaching and proclaiming to the Jews first, and he's sharing with them what they did, and he's sharing with them the Old Testament and bringing it in biblically stating this is theologically correct. And he's showing them that this is God's intent from the very beginning. Let it be known in verse 38, let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you, and by him Everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. And so the Gentiles, well, first of all, the Jews were saying, no, you can't get rid of this law. We, we have this law. We have to abide by all these things. Look at verse 42. And they went out. The people begged these things might be told them the next Sabbath. See, Paul is going back, says, become as I, you, you didn't do me any harm. As a matter of fact, you begged me to stay. You wanted more teaching. And after the meeting, verse 43, of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, 
urge them to continue in the grace. And so Paul continued in this grace that is of the gospel, not the law. Now look at verse 48. This is key. This is so key. Well, not in this teaching, but it's key in your life. And, and you, need a, you need to see this. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Let me go back over that again. As many as were appointed believed. This is the Gentiles. Paul had read the Old Testament where they should be a light unto the Gentiles. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. This is in Isaiah. To the Gentiles to have salvation was far from it from the Jews to even think of, comprehend, or even believe. And here Luke is stating that as many as were appointed, there's an appointment of believers that are to believe. You see, you have to be appointed to believe. And many people get it wrong and they say, no, no, I have to believe to be appointed. You can't believe if you're dead. You can't believe if you don't understand. If you hate God, you don't want to believe in God. And the reason you love God is because you've been appointed to believe in God. That's just one of the many verses. See, man wants to be the center of his own salvation, to create a God in his own image. And, and so if, if I can choose my God, and, and I can choose the God, that, the Jesus Christ that I'd like to have, I would choose a Jesus Christ that is fair with everyone, that accepts everything, that loves everybody, doesn't care what they've done, they, that Jesus Christ would know that I'm just a work in progress. That he, he overlooks my sin because, well, he died on the cross for it, so I can continue sinning. That's the God of a self-centered theology. We create God in our image. You see, but it's the other way around. When God made Adam, you know, he spoke everything into existence. He spoke the trees into existence. He spoke the stars into existence. He spoke the animals and everything he spoke into existence, except when it came to man. He formed him. He was involved in him. He made out of mud. He made this mud creature. And you know what? He just didn't leave him there and say, okay, I want you to decide whether you want me to be your God. So I want you to receive me. And here's this mud thing on the floor, just mud. What God did is he purposely lifted up this man and breathed his life into him. And he was born into existence. In the same way that you have no contribution to your physical birth, you have no contribution to your spiritual birth. It is God all the way through. You must be born again. You must be. Let me, let me just finish this up here, this thought, because this is where we, we go back to uh, Galatians. In chapter 14, now at Iconium, they entered together into, into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. Verse 4, but the people of the city were divided, some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When, when an attempt was made by the Gentiles and Jews with the rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystria and Derbe, cities of Lyconia, and to the surrounding countries. And there they continued to preach. One of the things that I didn't mention here just a little bit ago is that um, 
as they were preaching, as they were teaching, the Jews were contradicting and throwing uh, all these various types of ideas and thoughts at Paul and were muddling up the whole mess, the, the whole meeting, and it became a mess. And they were upset. And a lot of the Greeks were looking at this. A lot of the disciples were watching this. They were seeing Paul being beat up because of the law that no longer made any sense to us because we have Jesus Christ. Verse 19, but Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. When the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day he went with Barnabas to Derbe. When they preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystria and Iconia and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples. Here they are. A group of Jews gotten together to listen to Paul. Paul says the Mosaic law no longer is valid. We have grace. Live by the moral law that the Mosaic law gives us. And now you have Jesus Christ. They, they got upset. Greeks were there. And they says, this is good teaching. Stay with us. Teach us some more. Then all of a sudden they see their man that they're looking up to being persecuted and even killed. Now, this is a turn of events that... Paul is saying, you know me. You were there. Go back to Galatians. You, You saw me. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God. It is believed that the reason that Paul went up to, uh, to, to the area of Galatia it was a higher elevation. It was a drier climate. He was trying to get rid of this. Uh, and they thought maybe he might have had malaria. See, malaria, what it does is it damages the opto, uh, optical nerves, and it, and it causes blindness or color blindness and, uh, and, and eye infections. And so possibly it could be that that's the case. We can't be dogmatic about that. I'm just sharing with you some of the things that I've read. But the fact that he had this ailment, the fact that this was going on in his life, and, and all these things that were going to, he says, you didn't scorn me. You know, you, you didn't spit me out. You didn't have any uh, disdain toward me. Because the theology of the Old Testament, if you remember in Job, uh, Job's three friends, they kept telling Job, you know, just, just confess. <laughs> what did you do? You, you must have done something wrong. Otherwise, God wouldn't be treating you this way. Something happened in your life. Confess it. And he says, uh, his wife, on the other hand, says, you know, just curse God and die. You know, come on, just get it over with. I can use the insurance money. You know, no, she didn't say that. But, and, and it was just the theology of the day. If you remember the, the blind man that Jesus healed, the, the disciples asked him, who, who, who sinned, him or, or his parents? And Jesus says, none of these guys did. You know, this wasn't only a common religious thing in, in Old Testament and New Testament. But it also was a very Gentile thought of believing. When Paul was being transported to Spain, they stopped at the island of Miltus. Miltus? Milpas. Anyways, they stopped at the island. Well, they didn't actually stop there by, by, you know, it wasn't wasn't a leisure cruise. cruise. There was a huge storm that devastated the ship, and all the people were saved, and they came to land. and, And as they're warming themselves in the fire, he reaches over to get some wood, and a viper just latches onto him. And the people of that country. They said, this guy, this guy's got to be a bad, bad man. See, because even though he escaped the ocean, he ain't going to escape this one. So you must have done something wrong, Paul. And we know that he was healed from that. 
And that was the thought. That was the thought of the day. And, and Paul is saying, you know, you could have scorned me, you, but you didn't. You could have said that I was totally in error because of the stoning, because of the beating, because of all the things. And now this ailment that I had, you know, you could, but you didn't. You received me. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached to you. I, I, I couldn't continue on in that region. I had to come here. This was not my first choice. In essence, this is what he's saying. But I came anyways. And in God's providence, he used that area, that region, to write us a letter so that we can receive it as well. I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial, it was a temptation, it was, it was hard on you. You, know, you didn't despise me, but received me as an angel of Jesus Christ, an angel of God as Christ himself. I think one of the hardest things for a pastor is when things start going bad, things start going, going downhill. The hardest thing for a pastor is for his people to bail out. When things are going rough and, and he's invested his life and, and he's invested all that he has, his time and his energy and his, you know, just all that he has. And, and then all of a sudden for people to just say, eh, well, you know, it must not be of God, so I, I must go on. And Paul is at this point right now. He says, I, I just, you know, I, I, I'm fearing that I labored in vain. I'm fearing that I gave up my life and everything. And you trusted me. You, you believed me. You believed the truth. What, now because I'm telling you another truth or this truth you don't believe because it's affecting you? It's hard. It's hard teaching. And so what ends up happening a lot of times is people bail out. Like in Matthew 23, Jesus says to the city of Jerusalem, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings. And you were not willing. You can hear the pastor's heart. You can hear the heart of a person that, that is just passionate about his people. In the same way that Paul is expressing this concern to the people, people in Galatia. But Paul says, you know, you did, you, but you received me. You received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. And he says, you know, I, I know this and I am sure of this. That he who began a good work in you will see it till completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's going to happen. I know it. I've seen it. I know that God's going to work this through in your life. See, when I live the gospel, when I understand the gospel, when I recognize the gospel, number one, I'm revived. I have to go back to the time that I received the gospel, the genuine, true gospel, not a man-centered gospel. See, a man-centered gospel leaves you empty. Leaves you wondering as to why things are happening. Leaves you to a point where it seems like everything is going wrong. You have this theology of the day that because things are going wrong, you must have messed up. You see, in a God-centered theology, we understand that all these things that do happen, and we look at it from a different standpoint, these things do happen. You know, things happen in life, financial burdens, uh, kids, spouses, whatever the case may be, jobs. You know, those things do happen, not because you're in trouble, not because God hates you. Those things do happen, and they cause us to come to a point of understanding, okay, Lord, what is it that you're doing? And this ailment, this sickness, whether it's malaria, whatever it was, Paul used it for good. And he continued to proclaim the gospel wherever he went. And this reminds me of the time that when I was in the hospital with 
the COVID. And I was there for six days, not as long as Paul was. But, but you know, I, I understood that there was something going on. And, and I didn't say, why, God? What am I doing? What, what are you doing to me? I says, okay, Lord, what am I doing here? What is it you want me to see? What do you want me to learn? And the one lesson that I came out of there, and I've shared this with some people already, and I, one of the things that I, I came out of that is that the church is in trouble. The church, not just North Park, not just the, but the church in general. Just in speaking with some of the people there that, that were supposedly believers, and the stress and the angst and the worry and all the things that they were going through. And the first thing they asked me, do you want to, do you want to, get a, to be intubated? No, you know, I, I believe that I was born with an immune system that I, it's so far so good. If I catch a virus, you know, my immune system kicks in and my temperature goes up to try to kill this thing so it doesn't kill me. And my temperature goes up and I get all this phlegm everywhere and I, I can either sneeze it out or cough it out so it doesn't infect the rest of my body. And it happens in a very natural sense. And as a matter of fact, the reason why some people can last uh, six days to ten days uh, in, in a, in, with this fever is because, well, their immune system kicked in. And in the process of emitting all these germs that I'm, I'm spitting out or coughing out, you know, it inoculates the people around me. And they get inoculated, and, and then all of a sudden they catch it, either a little bit or a lot, depending on their immune system. Some people, of course, you know, with, with uh, comorbidities, they're going to die. Yeah, but I have news for you too, beloved. You're going to die too. don't know if you know that or not. Not today. Not today, I hope. It's going to happen. And, and as they catch this uh, virus, this inoculation that they have, our bodies are able to spread this around so that we can uh, get everybody else uh, immune of this disease. The worst thing that happened to me when I was in the hospital, uh, prior to going to the hospital, once I found out that I had COVID, the worst thing that happened to me is I put on a mask and I breathed in all that stuff. I should have just been able to cough it out, but it caused this pneumonia within my lungs that literally almost killed me. And so we have a system. Paul is saying, you know, as, as he's going through his stuff and he's talking to John Mark, he really, okay, well, go home. And he talks to him later about that. And again, I don't know if that's the case or not. I'm just making accusations. But I know that when I was in that hospital, I said, there needs to be a revival. We need to be revived. We need to come back to a place where we understand that God is sovereign and he's in control. I had no say-so as to when I was going to be born. I have no say-so as to when I'm not going to be here any longer. That is on God's timetable. Always has been, always will be. Me eating right, me exercising, me doing all those right things is only going to extend the quality of my life. But my due date and my expiration date are already set. I know people that, by all intents and purposes, they should have passed away. They have lived five, six, ten years with all these ailments because of not taking care of themselves. And then again, I know people that are very healthy that, boom, they expire. Heart attack or fall down, crack their head, accident. That was their time. And each one of us need to be confident that God is in control at all points, at all times. So we need to remember, we need to revive our spiritual freedom and remember the message of the gospel that it's, it's for salvation, it's power for us, and always go back to the gospel. And number three, restore your love for the gospel. Restore your love for the genuine gospel. 
The gospel message is not feeding the hungry. The gospel message is not that Jesus has a plan for you, that God has created you for a purpose. Those things are true, but that is not the gospel message. The gospel message is that God is holy, and I am not, and Jesus died on the cross to make me acceptable, to make me righteousness. I got Jesus' righteousness. He took my sin. The gospel message is that one day I will spend eternity with him. A lot of times that's missing from, that was missing from my gospel message. I, I, you know, I know people says to me, he says, well, I got, that's how I got saved. Well, the gospel, the, the gospel that was preached, the sinner's prayer never saved anyone. You got saved in spite of the sinner's prayer. The sinner's prayer is just a, a personally, I think it's just a, it's a way to, to create numbers, and then we let them go, and people are walking around delusioned and thinking that they're saved and do whatever they want and, and live their life because I'm saved. I'm once saved, always saved, right? And they're deceived into believing, into thinking, well, I proclaim Jesus. I, 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 I yell out to Jesus, uh, you know, and Jesus at the end is going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you. Those are frightening words, beloved. And the gospel message always converts and changes and, and re, the birth that comes out of that to be reborn again is totally different than what we were, as in the case of Paul. And we got to restore that love. The gospel message should encourage you every time you hear it. You can never get tired of hearing the gospel message. You can never get tired of understanding your dilemma and God's remedy. You could never get tired of understanding that and diving deeper into it and sharing that with more people that you would ever know. Paul says, what happened? What then has become, your, what then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Once again, going back to this malaria theory. What happened? You know, now you're turning against me? Why did that happen? You, you were rejoicing. You, you were full of joy. Disciples were multiplying. And, and as you proclaimed the gospel, things were happening in your life, and you were excited. Yes, you endured some persecution. Of course, there's people within the church or the, the Jewish community that don't like the message that you're preaching. Yes, that is. But you experience true Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit experiences in your life. You saw the power of the Holy Spirit. You had complete trust and confidence in the gospel. You had complete trust and confidence in me because I didn't steer you wrong. I gave you the word. I showed you who God was and what he did and how he proclaimed himself to be holy and that which Jesus Christ came to remedy. You received me even if I was Jesus Christ. You know, being in ministry with people, it is heartbreaking. You see people, you can see them change, you're watching them grow, and all of a sudden it's like, eh, it's no big deal. Something happens. And like Jesus says, you know, if they depart from us, maybe they weren't of us. If they're not of us, then they're not going to be with us. He, he says in uh, verse 11, I am afraid you, I have labored in vain, as I mentioned earlier. I fear that you have perhaps, I have perhaps labored over you, and it, all this time was wasted. In verse 15, what then has become of your blessedness? I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes. If it was possible to have a transplant, 
you would have done so. You loved me so much, you would have given up your own eyes to improve my sight. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You know, truth is good as long as it's affecting everybody else. You know, yes, like the guy that used to come up and say, oh, pastor, that was a good message. You know, so-and-so would like that, and so-and-so. You know, then one day he's preaching on something else. You know, pastor, now you're stepping on my toes. Now I don't want to hear this. All of a sudden, they become the enemy. Revive your spiritual freedom. Remember the messenger of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Restore your love for the gospel. Number four, reject the false gospel. Reject the false gospel. They make much of you. In the New English, excuse me, in the New American Standard Bible, it says, they eagerly seek you. They seek you out. They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. They want you to elevate them and make them look good and popular. All they're after is your, whatever you have, your possessions. They want the possessions. They want the pride. They want the, all the prestige that comes with being this elevated pastor. And they seek you and they go after you and they, they bring you in and they, they talk nice to you and give you all these uh, promises that life will be better Things will, will get better. And we know that as a, as a disciple of Jesus Christ, yes, we do have a better future, but it's not right now. And this is a verse that I think all of us ought to get to at least understand. The false gospel always wants to make much of you. The false gospel always wants to be you in the center of all things. You are the center point of what uh, the gospel message is. It's not about you. It's about God. It's His holiness. And there are a lot of gospel messages out there, and they're not the genuine gospel. And, and the gospel message generally always revolves around God, but the gospel that is out there revolves around finances, how you can be a better you, how you can get more money, how you can get healed, how you can get blessed, how you can grow and develop into the, the greatest evangelist or pastor or apostle or whatever the case may be. And Paul says, and no wonder, in 2 Corinthians, no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. He tells the Pharisees, Jesus does in Matthew 23, 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across sea and land to make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. They're already a child of hell. They're already a child of Satan, and he is saying, you're making them twice as much a child of Satan. And so there's, the, there's the, the, the restoring your life or your love for the gospel, remembering the messenger of the gospel, and revive your spiritual freedom in Christ because of the gospel. And number five, respond and grow in the gospel. He breaks down my little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. You see, it's not a matter of just coming to know Jesus. It's not even a matter of coming to recite all of the parables of Jesus or the verses of Jesus. His desire for them was so doctrinally profound 
in this statement. He says, until Christ is formed in you. The desire of every pastor, of every spiritual leader, of every genuine pastor and, and person that has your best interest at heart is for you to become more like Jesus Christ. That is the goal. Not like me, not like our denomination, not like the people around you, but like Jesus Christ. Until Jesus Christ is formed in you. My little children, I am in anguish of childbirth. I, I, am, I am going through these labor pains. Like a mother, I, I, I ache. My heart aches for you. I, I want Jesus Christ to be formed in you. This is the powerful doctrine of sanctification. The regeneration doctrine, the justification doctrine happens when we're born. We're regenerated. Sanctification is what happens throughout our life. And the glorification process happens, well, at the end, when either Jesus Christ returns or He takes us with Him, or we die. And it's this time right here, this period, that we live our life as a Christian. And it is this period of time that needs the attention of the gospel, of the Word of God. And I know that many people have said, well, what we need is more discipleship. We need to get people into discipleship. We have to bring people into, into the kingdom of God. We have to bring them out on Wednesday night or Sunday night or whatever the case may be. We need more discipleship. No, what we need are genuine believers. We cannot disciple a goat into a sheep. The sheep hear his voice. And the gospel, when it's proclaimed and preached, the heart is broken and it, and it rips your heart out because of the sin. And once you understand that your sin has defiled you and, and has hurt and gone up against the holy God, has genuine repentance taken place? There are a lot of people that still want to live the life that they're living. But it's not until that ugliness within your heart. Paul said himself, you know, I, the things that I did is, you know, it's all rubbish. For nothing. And Paul says, I want Jesus Christ to be formed in you. That's his desire. That's his desire. In Romans, he tells us, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week. Clothe yourself so that you are no longer uh, the one showing yourself, but it's Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And again, in Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Living the gospel of Jesus Christ means living it to the end, not just on Sunday, not just for a few weeks and a few months. You know, I was asked here a while back if I ever thought I'd be at this place right now. And to be honest with you, when I first became a Christian, I committed my life to Christ because that's what, you know, I, I felt I desired to do this. And, and I know that God had been working in my life. And at this point in time, I says, you know what? I've, I've got I've to do something. And I came to church to bring my kids up in the church. I wanted them to learn about God. I wanted them to go to heaven. But for me, it was over. I really felt that I had done the worst that you can ever think or imagine. I'd been to some of the worst places that you ever could think or imagine. And I've seen some very horrific stuff without even getting involved or doing anything. Sometimes even being a part of it. And so, to me, my life was pretty much done. God did not want anything to do with me. And so, 
I came hoping that these kids would come to know Jesus Christ and go to heaven because I knew that my life was doomed. And when, when I committed, when, I, when the pastor shared the gospel with me and I surrendered to what Jesus Christ was offering me, I said, okay, I had no clue as to how far that was going to go. I'm not a kind of guy that likes to plan out a lot of things. I have to really seriously sit down and start planning. And this was just something I said, I got to get this over with, you know, because I'm, I'm almost going to die here. I've almost died a few times. The gospel message grew within my life and in my heart. For 30 some years now, 33 years, the gospel message has been growing. And it hasn't ended yet. There is a community out here that needs to hear the gospel message. Not by the eloquence of an evangelist. Not by uh, soothing uh, emotional music. Not by anything that we can ever do, but it's just a matter of proclaiming the gospel message. And I know this because it happened to me and it's happened to various other people that I know of. It happened to you. There are people in this community that need to hear the word of God. And this is what we're all about here in these next few months. We need to live the gospel of Jesus Christ to the end. The Father sent the Son to the earth, not only to die that men might be saved, but also to live as a divine example for those who are saved. And next week, we'll talk a little bit more about this being formed in you, the sanctification process. We want to dive into that a little bit and, and just understand what God is doing in your life and how God is using the gospel message and the Word of God to grow you and develop you. One of the commentators that I read is John Stott. And he says, the church needs people who, in listening to their pastor, listen for the message of Christ. And pastors who, in laboring among the people, look for the image of Christ. You need the message and the image. The message that is proclaimed and the image that is put on. And that's who we are. Let me, let me ask you to stand. Father in heaven, today we feast upon your word. And just the, the struggles and trials that, that Paul had gone through, but never deterred, never stopping to ask why, never wondering what the next step was going to be. And he moved forward every step of the way. At a point when most people would have given up, he kept going. And I pray, Father, that you can raise up men and women in this church that will continue to do the same thing. It is a difficult call. It is a hard call. It is a call that requires us to surrender totally to your Lordship. It is a call for people to understand our place, our position, and the power that you give to the regenerated believer. Lord, we stand before a holy God, and only by your grace are we able to do so. And we want that message to be proclaimed. So, Father, as we move from this point forward, help us to do so in love and in sincerity. Thank you once again for this word, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone says, Amen. Amen.